Okay, this week's parsha is always read around the time period of Yom Kippur. So, the Alter Rebbe said, the Alter Rebbe said to the Chassidim, a person has to live with the times. And the Chassidim didn't know what the Alter Rebbe meant when he said that a person has to live with the times. And uh, I think it was the Alter Rebbe's brother that explained that to live with the times means to live with the Parsha Sashavua. That everything that we need is always in the Parsha. And it always works out that way. You know, like uh, anything that's happening in the world, Rabbanim get very excited because they're like, oh, I know what I'm going to... I know what I'm going to speak about this week because it's like perfectly in this parsha. Even like sometimes ridiculous things like something happened in the world of sports and you can always like tie it in, you know, like uh, somebody had like a winning touchdown in the Super Bowl and it's like you have to tell the Rabbanim, you don't have to speak about that in this week's, you know, drasha. But somehow it always comes up that whatever, whatever we need is in the parsha. And the reason, Kabbalistically speaking, is because the energy that is in the week comes from the Shabbos, right? So Shabbos gives energy to the week. And so, for example, if Yom Kippur is in the week, then it must be that there's the energy of Yom Kippur that's already present in Shabbos. And we want to try to understand something about the week from the Shabbos. So I want to share with you something that I think is very special, and it's a topic that's very close to my heart. It's a little bit of a rant, but you'll forgive me. I think it's an important rant. The Pasuk in this week's Parsha, this is Moshe Rabbeinu's swan song. This is Moshe Rabbeinu's last Hazinu. Hazinu. The, uh, that was, I, I knew it was coming. The, um, the, 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 this is Moshe Rabbeinu's like, last speech, so to speak. This is his like, song that he's singing to Klal Yisrael as he's about to leave for his Petira. The Pasuk says, Hazinu Hashamayim Va'adabeira, listen, heavens, and I will speak. And the land, the earth, should hear the words of my mouth. And many already point out that there's two different types of speech that we see here. So when it comes to the heavens, it uses the Lashon of Dibur. And when it comes to the Aretz, right? and that the earth should hear the Amira, the words of my mouth. So... The question is, what's the difference between Dibur and Amira? These seems to be, you know, a lot of times we have synonyms in the Torah, they appear to be the same exact word, but they're not. And what's the exact difference? What is the Torah trying to convey? What is Moshe Abenu trying to convey? That when it comes to Shamayim, there's a lotion of Dibur. And when it comes to Aretz, there's a lotion of Amira. So I want to share with you a Gemara in Bechoros. The Gemara in Bechoros tells the following story. That for whatever reason, we have to get into it right now, but Rav Yochanan ben Hananya said to the, uh, to the leader of Greece, to the head of Greece, that he was greater and that the sages of Claudiusol were greater than the sages of Athens. And so there were all these different like, debates that happened between the sages of Athens and between Rav Yoshua, I'm sorry, Rav Yoshua, I said Rav Yochanan before, between Rav Yoshua ben Hananya. And, and listen to one of the debates. It sounds like a very strange debate, but we're going to unpack it and, God willing, make a little bit of sense about it. They said, the sages of Athens said to Rav Yoshua ben Hananya, if you have a certain man, and he goes and he asks to marry a woman, and the family doesn't give her to him, why would he, why would he see fit 
to go for a family that is greater than the first? This is the question that the sages of Athens posed to Rabbi Yoshua ben Hanania. A very strange question. If a guy goes to marry a girl and she's from a certain family and that family says no, why would he go to a family of greater stature to try and marry their daughter? In other words, if he's been rejected by the lower family, why would he see fit to try and marry somebody from the higher family? That's the question they, they ask. And Rabbi Yoshua responds to this question by taking a peg and attempting to stick it into the lower part of a wall, and it won't go. And then he sticks it into the upper portion of the wall, and then it goes in. So he takes the peg, first goes to the lower portion of the wall, and the peg won't go into the wall. But then when he goes to the upper portion of the wall, the peg is able to go in. And Rav Yoshua ben Hanania said to them, the same way that I couldn't stick it into the lower part of the wall, but I could stick it into the upper part of the wall, the same thing is true when it comes to finding a wife. Sometimes it doesn't work with the lower part, it'll only work with the greater family. And this is the whole Gemara. <laughs> this is the whole Gemara. So we're left wondering, what in the world is this Gemara talking about? Why are the sages of Athens talking to Yoshua ben Hanania about if you can't marry a girl from a lower family, why would you be able to marry a girl from a higher family? What does he mean by taking a peg and putting in the wall and saying it doesn't fit into the lower part of the wall, but it fits into the upper part of the wall? And the same thing is true of a family. What, is a, what does a peg have to do with marriage? There's a lot of questions here. I want to share with you something that's very personal to me. And I think it'll resonate with you. I hope it'll resonate with you. It's, it's really probably like the thing that's like that I'm living with every day these days. There are two types of education that you could receive. There's what I'll call a lower education and a higher education. And I want to describe to you what a lower education looks like. A lower education is where your rebbeim, your teachers, your mechanchot, your rakazot, they get up and what they do, well-intentioned, is they try to sell you Judaism. They're making a sales pitch. They try to sell you Judaism. You've been on these classes before? The sales pitch of Judaism? I want to share with you what the sales pitch of Judaism looks like. Judaism's awesome. Here's why it's awesome. And very often they'll bash everybody who's not, right? And they'll say, like that classic Rebbe, like, you think they're really happy? And it's like... I don't know, it doesn't seem to me that everybody who's not Jewish in the world is miserable. There's 8 billion people in the world. There's 15 million Jews. I know plenty of Jews that aren't happy, and I know plenty of Kayim that are. But you know, the, you know that pitch, like, the best life is a Jewish life. You know, you, you've heard this year? And, and, and they sell you on all the things that God will do for you. Right? In other words, and, and it sounds like this. It's a, it's a big, I believe it's a big distortion of what Chazal actually meant, but they'll say things like, and I know I'm going to get misquoted here. So this is being recorded. When you misquote me, you could just say, go back to the recording so that you could hear exactly what I said, because I know I'm going to get misquoted. Who's going to misquote me? I'm looking around right now trying to wonder who's going to misquote me. Somebody's going to misquote me. It sounds like this. They go, God is a giver. And, and God wants to give the ultimate pleasure to you, right? This is what the share sounds like. So, obviously, then, Judaism is the ultimate pleasure, and your job in life is to pursue the ultimate pleasure, right? Isn't that, isn't that what it's You've heard this share before? Isn't that what it sounds like? It, it's not true, by the way. 
It's true that God is ultimately a giver, right? And is the ultimate giver. It's true that the ultimate goodness that God wants to give is himself. He wants to bestow the ultimate goodness upon another. That's all well and good. But it's not true that our job in life is to pursue the ultimate pleasure. Our job in life is to do what Hashem wants, right? But that last part, it's like, you're going to get the ultimate pleasure if you pursue Judaism. And if you're not pursuing Judaism as the ultimate pleasure, it's just because you're not a connoisseur of pleasure. But really, you should be pursuing pleasure. But what happens when you tell this to a 15-year-old boy, right? And it's the summer after 10th grade. What, is, what does a 15-year-old boy say? He goes, awesome. Uh, so you think that's the ultimate pleasure, and I think this is the ultimate pleasure. Whatever this is, right? We can all imagine what this is. You think Judaism is the ultimate pleasure. For some reason, our 15-year-old, very intelligent young man says, you think waking up in the morning and davening to Hashem is the ultimate pleasure. I think staying in bed is the ultimate pleasure. You think that not talking to girls is the ultimate pleasure, and I, 15-year-old boy, somewhere after 10th grade, think it's kind of really exciting that a girl wants to say hello to me, especially given the condition that I'm in. You know the condition of a 15-year-old? It's a cruel thing that Hashem does to a 15-year-old boy. At the peak of wanting to speak to a girl, Hashem says, try this. Do it with your face looking like a pizza pie, right? <laughs> and also with your voice cracking fairly regularly, right? That's, it's like you go over to that girl and you're like, hey, how's it going? Right? It's, it, Want to get a cup of coffee, right? It, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't like exactly, it doesn't work. It's, it's not like a, like a cool thing. But that 15-year-old thinks like, wow, and a girl wanted to talk to me also in camp, right? And she also wanted to say like, hey, what's up? And she also wants to be like, yeah, I want to get a cup of coffee, right? And it's like, and, and, and you think that's not the ultimate pleasure. So the 15-year-old, he agrees with you. The 15-year-old says, look, we're both going for the ultimate pleasure. For some reason, you think fasting on Yom Kippur is the ultimate pleasure. And I think eating is a much better pleasure than fasting, right? It, the, the pitch, I'm not saying it doesn't work. I'm saying it, it works sometimes, but it's not a great pitch, you know what I mean by that? There's something about that pitch that leaves us uninspired. And we can walk out of these classes where people like pitch Judaism at us, and there's a feeling, I think, that at least I have it, and I know that some other people that I've spoken with have it, there's a certain sense of like, like being spoken down to. You know what I mean? Like it's, you're not asking me to do something great. You're telling me, get what you want. Doesn't it leave us a little bit underwhelmed? You know what I mean? It's like, we sh you should be asking more of me. I want to share with you, bef before we take any questions, I want to share with you what, what a higher level education looks like. A higher level education, we don't have this very much in the world today, but it used to be that even the world had this. A higher education in the world says something like, ask not what you can do for your country, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Right? There was a time period in history where a president of the United States got up and said, not what we're going to do for you, but what are you going to do for us? And you know how people responded? It became such an iconic thing to say that we still say it today in 2023. That people will read Abraham Lincoln's letters years later and be inspired by them because what he gave us right back then was a call to action, a call to be part of something greater than yourself. And so there's something amazing that's happening in the world of education today. And I think that you girls are right at the center of it. 
there was a time period where we like fed into the narcissism of the generation. And we said, oh, this is the generation that pursues pleasure? Perfect. We're going to tell you that the ultimate pleasure is God. And it didn't work. But something is happening today in the world, and it's very different. And we see that kids who are coming to, I mean kids, young men and women who are coming, I shouldn't pull your children. I mean that legitimately. It's not the right thing. You're in adult bodies now. So you're adults, yeah? It's the, the idea that, that we're asking you to be part of something larger than yourself, and we're seeing guys and girls go, now we're talking. You're telling me not about the ultimate pleasure that I should be pursuing. You're telling me, what are you doing for somebody else? What are you sacrificing? And these words are very important. Because if you grow up in a culture that says life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, what will happen to a generation of children that are raised to pursue happiness? That's what they're going to do. They're going to pursue happiness, right? And, and, and kids will grow up in such a generation, and they'll say, why should I daven? I don't enjoy it. You ever have that? Why should I daven? I don't enjoy it. Why should I learn this? I'm not enjoying it, right? There's something very holy about that sentiment. And as I want to enjoy this, why am I not enjoying this? But there's something that we're saying today that's more profound than enjoyment. And it sounds like this. And it, it doesn't sound, at first it doesn't sound great, but when you actually let it like sit for a second, you'll realize it's much more empowering, it's much more ennobling. You should do this because it's true and it's right. You should stop asking yourself what you're enjoying and you should start asking yourself the question of what am I bringing to this? What's my contribution? Right? And it's a completely different thing. I'll give you an example of what this looks like. You have two opportunities in the summer. Opportunity number one is to go work and make some money. Girls, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with working and making some money. People can do good things with money. But there are people in this room, I imagine, that are going to ask themselves this summer, okay, what am I doing for Yisrael? What am I doing for Yisrael this summer? There are girls, I'm not making any specific pitches here. But there are girls that are going to say, okay, I'm going to ask. Because what I want to spend my summer doing is taking care of somebody who can't take care of themselves. And it's an amazing thing. If you ask somebody at the end of a summer in Camp Ask, you say, how was it? They'll always tell you the same thing. The first week, ridiculously hard. The first week, I thought I was going to leave. And the only reason I didn't leave is for two reasons. Number one, peer pressure. I don't want to be that girl that leaves, right? And number two... I called Rabbi Rosenstein, and I, I called Mrs. Rosenstein, I called somebody, and they said, stick it out, and in the end, I was able to do it. Okay, and how was it at the end of the summer? Best summer of my life. What was so great about it? Did you hang out on Shidduch Lane? Uh, no, but I was like Shidduch Lane adjacent. I was, I was scouting. I was like, it was in my peripheral vision. I was looking. I was on the side going, mm-hmm, right, like that. You know, and there's always that guy who's like, that guy in the camp, right? And I'm not saying I noticed him or that he once spoke to me, but we kind of once spoke. We were in the pharmacy at the same time, but I wasn't there for that. That's not what it was about. Ask them why it was the best summer of their life, and they'll tell you, because I was completely dedicated to somebody else. It's an amazing thing. We're raising these children to pursue happiness. We're throwing everything at them. The most amazing schools, the most amazing camps, the most amazing vacations, and they're depressed. And you put them in an environment like Camp Pesk, you put them in an environment like Camp Simcha, and it goes the exact opposite way. All of a sudden they're like, that was the best. But it wasn't for you. Exactly. The lower order education says Judaism is for you. How can we serve you? 
the higher order of Jewish education is, who are you serving? What role do you play? What are you doing for God in this world? What are you doing for the Jewish community? I want to share with you something. I have my fair share of tainas on the Lubavitch community, but I want to tell you something that they do better than, than us, like, and is like light years better than us. If you're growing up in a Lubavitcher yeshiva or in a Lubavitcher seminary, you know what your chinuch is? What are you doing for Klal Yisrael? What are you doing for Klal Yisrael? From the time that you're a little kid, you know what you'd spend your summer doing when you're 14, 15 years old? You're getting flown out to some random place in the middle of Uzbekistan, right? And you're running, you know, Ganizi, you're running some camp for some Jewish kids that are like, maybe there's five Jewish kids in the entire Uzbekistan, and somehow that Lubavitcher Shliach found them, and you flew to Uzbekistan to take care of those kids. That's what you do. I walked in, I davened Mincha, I had, to, uh, I had a meeting in Crown Heights a couple years ago. And I, I was like, I had to chapa mincha. I didn't know where I was going to go to chapa mincha. And I saw a bunch of Lubavitcher kids going into this yeshiva. So I, I jumped out of the car and I, I said, is there mincha now in the yeshiva? They said, yeah, there's mincha upstairs. It was right by Shkia. I figured Lubavitch was a good place to get a late mincha. You know, like, if it's like basically dark outside, I figured like I still have a decent chance of getting a mincha there. So I walked in and like, obviously like a bunch of rabbis come over to me right away. Like, Shalom Aleichem, what's your name? Where are you from? This one punk 15-year-old kid, I love this kid. He was obviously the leader of the class, obviously very funny. All the rabbis were like schmoozing, you know, standing around, They're like, where are you from? Oh, from Ramapi Chemish, what are you doing here? Whatever. So this one kid comes over to me and goes, and he's got like, you know, the, the crumpled hat and, you know, like the jacket on and like disheveled, like the whole, but you could tell he's a cool kid, right? And he goes, are you Jewish? So, <laughs> so I said, yeah, I'm Jewish. He goes, did you put on tefillin today? And it, obviously I've put on tefillin and he knows that, but he's trained that when he sees a Jew, the first thing that he does is he says, what can I do for you? I'm willing to stand on a street corner, and I'm willing to ask random strangers if they put on tefillin. I'm willing to ask random girls if they want Shabbos candles. I'm willing to do this because I exist to serve another. And if you think about one of the things in our community that we should be doing better, right? I don't know where you all came from, but you know this concept of, uh, I don't don't mean to rip, I'm just going to say it because it's like on my heart. But you know this like chesed hours, like fake concept, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, at least some of you know what I'm talking about, right? This like check the box of chesed hours. It's not, an, like, it's not actually like a devoted life of chesed, but somebody like said, you know, they, they should really have chesed hours, right? And so like you ask some of the boys, what'd you do with chesed hours? Like, I don't know, like I was in some nursing home on my phone. You know, like, but he checked the box on his chesed hours. That's an actual example, by the way, that somebody told me recently. That's why I'm... Choosing it, right? Like, I was like, what do you mean you were on your phone in a nursing home? It was like, I was in a room. The person was basically comatose. I was just on my phone. <laughs> I was like, okay, it's quite a chesed you did. I'm not making fun of it in the sense that I don't think it should be part of the curriculum. I'm making fun of it in the sense of like, how is this not more a part of the curriculum? No, like, why did we say that like this, whatever thing that we're learning that probably most of us forgot three seconds after we were in the class, how did we decide that was more important than people who are actually dedicating themselves to giving to another. Right? And I'll tell you what the nafkamina is. Because then if a girl came to us and she said, I don't like davening, you know what the conversation would be? We would start the conversation by saying, it's really important for you to enjoy davening. Of course it is. Because ivdu es Hashem b'simcha is a very real thing. That, that, that all the, all the klolos that come upon Klal Yisrael come because we didn't serve Hashem. But why is it important that we enjoy it? It's not important so that you can enjoy it. It's important because that's what it means to be part of a relationship. I'll, I'll tell you what I mean by this. 
Everybody here, Bez Hashem, you're going to get married. Be Yitob Amen. Very well done. First domain of the year. Very proud of you girls. Bez Hashem, we're going to work on it a little bit more. Amen. Okay, that was like shvach. But we'll get there. Okay, pretty good. That was like a 75% on that one. Ironically, I'll get an amen. I'll get a greater amen to the shidduch one than I will to the bracha. But the... Um, I understand, and I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yeah, I, I'm wondering why the volume of water is here. I'm trying to figure out what you're saying about me, but um, just in case it'll hydrate you. Yeah, but also just in case it spills all over me. So it's a chas v'shalom. I agree. We have to say bli neder chas v'shalom all the things. I come from a very superstitious family. My grandmother. Are you sparring? No, my grand. But even worse, because my my grandparents like weren't from, so they only had like the like. They only had like the uh, heebie-jeebie stuff. Um. So I had one grandmother who saw me walk over my brother one time. And she was like, it was like I was idolatrous. Like I'm like a from kid who's like keeping Shabbos. And she said, what did you just do? I was like, what did I do? She goes, walk back over. I was like, that cannot be right. You can't like undo what you did. And she would, I was such a chutzpah with a kid. She would always say like, make sure that you get on the plane with your right foot. And I used to say to her, Grandma, I'm going to jump on with both feet. Because two feet is better than one. And she'd be like, no, 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 right foot only. Right? I was like, very superstitious grandma. I'm not superstitious. I'm a little stitious. But she was superstitious. That's a rabbi joke. Thank you very much for coming. I want you to know you get smicha for jokes like that. But your laugh, I want you to know, I give you a bracha that years from now, when you're making corny ima jokes, I want your children to do that to you. I want your children to go, ach, ima. <laughs> I'm at a stage in my life, I want you to know, I get pleasure from bringing pain to people with puns. I hated puns growing up, but I reached a certain age, and I have certain children now, that for me to say something, and for my daughter Racheli to go like, Abba, stop. Stop. I'm like, you don't like it, right? She's like, I hate it. I was like... <laughs> it's delicious, you know what I mean? So I want you to know I was that kid, <laughs> Rabbi, a good one. You know, like, uh, but trust me, it's coming soon to a theater near you. Um, <laughs> what was I saying? I was saying something. I have no idea what I was saying. How about your grandmother superstition? Oh, yeah. Oh, so this, no, this guy was in a nursing home. No, oh, on his phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Right. So we would say, so we would say like this. We would say like this. Let's say you're married. That's what we said. Let's say you're married. Amazing. Good. So thank you very much. I, I appreciate you. should know my ADHD and your sometimes focus. Between the two of us, we can get through this year. If you tell your husband, I want you to bring out the garbage, and he does. So is he a good husband? Well... I don't know. He did the right thing, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> you'll have to ask us. I do want to share that with you, that it's important to actually verbalize what you want to your husbands. I know that your species, for some reason, doesn't feel the need to do that. I want to share with you on behalf of your future husbands, if you tell us, we, we can do it. But we don't know how to read your mind, and it's very painful for us when you're upset at us and we have no idea why. So on behalf of your future husbands, just tell us what you want. As long as what you want is reasonable. <laughs> Putting socks in the laundry is not a reasonable request. We can put our socks near the laundry. That's about as close as we can get. We're going to ask you to be Mabatha on that one. If your husband does everything right, but clearly is not present when he's doing it, you're, you get very frustrated. 
and you say, you're like, this is what women say to men. I feel like you're not here. And men have no idea what to do with that statement. <laughs> what does that mean you feel like I'm not here? I'm literally here. I just did the thing you want me to do. But I just feel like you're not really here. What are you saying? What are those words, right? But what you're saying is, I've learned this, what you're saying is, it's not so important to me that you do the right thing. What's much more important to me is that we're in a relationship. And when I see you just doing it and going through the motions, it doesn't feel like we're really participating in a relationship. Rav Moshe Weinberger Shlita, the Rav of Eish Kodesh, says the following story. And um, it's such a powerful story. He says that a couple comes to sit down with him. And uh, when the couple comes to sit down with him, so they're having some, some issues at home, and he says, okay, who wants to go first? And the wife says, uh, the husband says, I'll go first. And the husband says, I don't know what this girl wants from me. I do everything. I, I take out the garbage. I, I change the light bulbs. I, I make a good parnasa. I'm a little league coach. I do everything she wants. And the entire time that he's talking, Rav Weinberger describes how the wife is sitting there with her arms crossed and just like shaking her head. And the husband goes, there's nothing that I could possibly do to be enough for this woman. There's nothing I could do to please this woman. Even now as I'm talking, she's sitting there shaking her head. And so Rav Weinberger turns to the wife and he says, what's going on? Sounds like he's a really good husband. And she says to Rav Weinberger, you think I married him to take out the garbage? You think I married him to change a light bulb? I didn't marry him even to make a parnasa. I married him because of the way that he looked at me under the chuppah. And when's the last time that he looked at me that way? We're not, we're not here for our own enjoyment. We're here because enjoyment is the litmus test of whether or not you're participating in a relationship. Coming to your rebbeim, to your teachers, to your mechanchot, your rakazot, and saying, I don't like davening, doesn't mean you don't daven i got to take out the garbage, whether I want to take out the garbage or not. I have to show up for davening because I'm part of something larger than myself. We're part of a community. Right? We're, we, 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 it's not, and by the way, it's not just loyalty to the community. It's loyalty to Hashem. I'm here in this world to serve Hashem. If I'm not enjoying it, so you're coming to your teachers and you're saying, something is obviously not working in this relationship because I'm not feeling connected. Help me feel connected so that I can serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Isn't that a much more inspiring way of living life? It's much less inspiring for a teacher to get up there and go, you're going to love davening when you learn what davening really is. That, yeah, it might be true, but the point is not you're loving davening. The point is your relationship with Hashem. And the love is the litmus test. That's a much higher level of education. The conversation between Rabbi Yoshua ben Hanania and the sages of Athens was as follows. They said, okay, let's talk about a relationship. There's a girl you want to marry, Right? This is code for our relationship with Hashem. And, and you try to, you try to like, go to the lower family, and the lower family rejects you. You try to go to a lower person, and you try to say to them, like, here's why Judaism is awesome for you. And it doesn't work. They're not interested. So now you're going to start talking to them about the soul. You're going to start talking to them about responsibility, about grit, about perseverance, about loyalty. If you couldn't sell happiness, what's the chance you're going to be able to sell the higher level thing? Shavu Yeshua ben Hananya says to them, no, 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 it's exactly the opposite. He takes a peg and he goes, you want to see how you make a dent? You want to see how you can get the peg to stick? You put it in the lower half, it doesn't work. People don't want to hear the lower thing. We are capable, not only capable, we want deeply for somebody to challenge us and say, live a higher order life. That's what we want. That's what everybody in this room wants. You want to walk out of this year and you want to know not what Judaism can do for you, but what you can do for Hashem, what you can do for Klal Yisrael. 
And that sticks. Rabbi Yeshua ben Hanani takes the peg and he puts it in the wall. It works. It works. He says, look, the low order thing doesn't work. The higher order thing works. You go to the lower family, it doesn't work. But if it doesn't work by the lower family, go to the higher family. There are people that say you have to get up. Young Israel rabbis, I don't mean young Israel rabbis, I mean certain type of rabbi. They get up and they're like, okay, I can't say anything to my congregants because they're always going to get upset at me. So what does he speak about? He speaks about whatever's happening in the news that week. But he doesn't actually challenge them. He doesn't say to them like, come on, let's serve Hashem. Let's be bigger than ourselves. He doesn't want to say that because he's afraid of what's going to happen. But Yeshua Mechanani is saying, don't do that. Speak to people's souls. Speak to the higher thing. Challenge them. Anything you've done great in your life, it's because there was a challenge and you rose to the occasion. Nobody ever felt good about anything they've done that came easy. Remember the test that you were like really committed, I'm studying? Remember in the beginning of the year when you got that notebook and you're like, okay, this year I'm actually taking notes? And it lasted maybe for a couple of weeks and that first test you aced and you did it really well and you felt awesome about it because you rose to the occasion and then you actually did it. It doesn't feel good to cheat on a test. I mean, you might want the results of cheating, right? But it doesn't feel good to cheat on a test because at the end of the day, you didn't actually work hard for anything. You didn't, be, you didn't become anything. Nobody wants that. What does Moshe Rabbeinu say? Hazinu hashamayim v'adabera v'atishmaha aretzim refi. You know what Rashi says? Amira is gentle. Amira is like, it's like a very nice Type of speech. It's very like, very calm. Amira is like, look, we're going to give you the happiness. If you're speaking to the artsios, if you're speaking to the material person, so you're going to you're going to sell them on the low stuff. But what does Moshe Rabbeinu say? Hazinu hashamayim va'adabera. Amira is for lower level things. But if you want to speak to a person's soul, if you want to speak to the shamayim, if you want to speak to the spirituality, you have to be willing to have dibor. Dibor, as opposed to Amira, dibor is not nice. Dibor is not, it's not like, it's not not nice, but Amira is gentle. Dibor is right to the core. You ever have a Rebbe who like finally said something and you knew it was like not what you wanted to hear, but you knew it was true? You know what I'm saying? Like, like no sugarcoating, just like straight for the jugular, like let's just be honest. I was hoping for that. I was hoping for it. I was hoping that I would have a Rebbe in high school that would just sit me down and not in the not in a way that would hurt me, but just straight sit me down and go, what are you doing with your life, man? Like, is this what you want to be? I was hoping that somebody was... I remember I was at an NCSY Shabbaton and there was a guy that had come back from Eretz Yisrael and I knew that before Eretz Yisrael he was this great basketball player and I knew that he was like a big ladies man and like everybody loved him and I, I never knew him because he was like a couple years older than me but I went on an NCSY Shabbaton when I was in high school and here was this guy you know, newly flipped out back from Israel and he was on this NCSY Shabbaton as a madrich and like all of a sudden he was like from and cool and I kept hanging out with him all Shabbos. Because I was hoping that at some point over Shabbos, he was going to put his arm around my shoulder and go, come on, man, you could do more than this. And all Shabbos long, I gave him every chance. And he probably didn't even realize I was giving him this chance because I didn't verbalize it. I just was hoping in my heart. And he never did it. And I remember I walked away from that Shabbos thinking, what a missed opportunity. What a missed opportunity. By the way, years later, I told him. He lives here in Eretz Yisrael. The guy's in a massive tamachachim, a beautiful family. He's the real deal. Years later, I ran into him. I said, I want you to know I was waiting on that Shabbos. I was waiting for you to just say it to me real. Say it to me true. Sometimes before Yom Kippur, we have to be hazinu ashamayim v'adaber. Sometimes we have to say to a person, let's get real. 
Is this the life you want? You came here to Yerushalayim Yerakodesh this year. Every one of us came with hopes and dreams, expectations and aspirations. Are you doing it? You've been here a couple of weeks already, right? Remember the things you promised yourself you weren't going to do when you got here and you've already done? You know what I mean? There was a guy who said to me, like last week, great guy. He said, I promised myself I was never going to leave yeshiva. And I've already left like a zillion times. So he invited me to say it, so I did. I said, how's that working out for you? He goes, not well. I said, maybe it's time to recommit. Maybe it's time to say, okay, I'm going to be more present in yeshiva. You have all these things you want to accomplish this year. Are we speaking to your lower self or are we speaking to your higher self? It's Yom Kippur. That's serious business, right? I don't mean to say that it's scary. Chazal say that it's the happiest day of the year along with Tubav. It's a day of a relationship with Hashem. We don't eat. We don't drink. We don't wear, we don't wear leather shoes. We don't want there to be any separation between us and God because we want to connect to God with all of our hearts and all of our souls. Are we setting the bar high or are we pandering to our lowest common denominator? If you want to have a real Yom Kippur, maybe it's time to have Azino HaShamayim Ba'adabeira. If you want to live on a Shamayim level, maybe it's time to get honest. Maybe it's time to say, give it to me straight. And really, the only people that can give it to us straight is ourselves. And that doesn't mean that you have a critical voice that knocks you down, Chas Shalom. But maybe it's an honest voice. Maybe it's a voice that says, okay, this is what I hope to accomplish this year, and this is how I'm going to make it actionable, because it's time to get real. That's Hashem. It should be a tremendous Yom Kippur for all of us. It should be Yom Kippur of Kapara and Mechila, and we should be Zaycha to a Gemar Chasim and a good Gebenshti.